Well, good morning, Northview. Good morning. It's great to be back. It's, uh, this is a nice tradition for me that I appreciate. I never take this honor lightly. Getting the opportunity to speak on a Sunday morning is a big deal, so I appreciate your pastor allowing me this opportunity. Three years ago, I did an interview with Pastor Steve in our house that was played, and then last year I was here, and now this year here again, um, so I appreciate the opportunity. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Um, let me add my uh, best wishes to you as well. And uh, just allow me to open us in prayer and ask God to kind of help us during this time. Um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a prayer from Psalm 119, uh, uh, verses 33 through 37. Um, this is a prayer that I've been pray praying for myself, for my family, for a lot of years. In fact, in my Bible, where during that next to that passage, I wrote daily prayer. I probably wrote that maybe 25 years ago in my Bible, and I, it really means a lot to me. And so last year when I was here, and we ended our message last year, for a, and, and kind of issued a challenge to encourage us all, hey, let's give daily time to the Bible, maybe even read the Bible in a year. And I kind of issued that challenge, hoping that maybe one or two people would take up that challenge. And my promise back a year ago was that I would be praying for you in this church, and I have done that in the last year. Many times, maybe not every day, but hundreds, of, I would say hundreds of times, I have prayed for this church, for you, if that encompasses you as someone who's made a commitment and responded to that challenge last year, I just wanted to follow up and let you know that. And my prayer has been something like this, and so let me open us in prayer, and this would be kind of what I've been praying uh, for the last year. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us, O oh Lord, uh, teach us about your word, direct our paths according to it, help us to understand it more day by day that we can live it out more faithfully and fully, turn our hearts and our eyes away from worthless things, and let us fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. It was about... 16 years ago that I went home one night and my daughter asked me to help her with her math homework. That was one of the roles that I played. I was the math guy. Math was, was a subject I liked and was decent at. And so when it came to helping our three daughters with math homework, I was the guy. And so uh, this was a normal routine. But so I go to start helping my daughter. I can't remember if it was algebra or what it was, but we started working through the problems and we worked our way through uh, this one particular problem, and it was tedious, but it took a second, but it all came back to me. We eventually got through it and got our, got our answer, and I was confident it was all right, checked that it was right. But the only problem was my daughter didn't like the way that we got to the answer. And she challenged me on it. She had the audacity to challenge me on it. I'm like, well, I'm helping you with your homework. And so she assured me that that wasn't the right answer, and I said, that's the right answer. And she said, well, even if it's the right answer, you didn't do it the right way. <laughs> so we went back and I walked through it again and she challenged me again and again. And finally, I, I got a little bit upset, right? I'm, and so I'm, we're sitting at the table and, uh, and I kind of go like this. I, I hit my hands on the table and I say to her, Avery, I am a math expert. <laughs> right? And so... Why am I doing that? Why did I feel this need to prove to her that I'm a math expert? Because 
Credibility is important, right? Credibility is, is incredibly important. Um, and so what we're gonna look at today is how credibility is connected to leadership. And what we're gonna suggest is that we've all called to be leaders, not just our pastors, right? And not just our missionaries or the people who teach Sunday school, or, but all of us, all of us are called to be leaders. And the passage is gonna prove to all of us and prove to my daughter that I was right to say, I'm a math expert, that it's important that she understands that I knew what I was talking about. 40 years of studying leadership, 40 years of trying to be a good leader, you know, just look at good leaders, study what they do, you know, Tony Dungy, a lot of great leaders that, that I've been worked under. And by the way, one of the steps to being a good leader is first to be a good follower, right? So for those of us who say, hey, well, I'm not really a leader, I'm a good follower, but I can be a good follower. Well, the, if we're a good follower, then you can be a good leader because it's in our following, right, that we actually learn how to lead in many, in many ways. Um, we follow Jesus, right, the greatest leader of all time. And it's in following that we are strengthened to become leaders. And so we're going to look at a passage today that I think is going to show us the link between leadership and credibility. And, but before I get into that passage, I think I just want to kind of give, bring some juice to the idea and the understanding is that this is for everyone. Yes, it's Father's Day, and yes, it's a convenient way to talk about leadership because fathers have a, a unique uh, responsibility and leadership role um, in our families. But this message is to all of us. This message is to all of us because we're all called to be leaders. And so sometimes you, I might run across somebody, you know, that's not me. I just am behind the scenes. I don't really need to be out in front. I'm not the leader type. And what I want to suggest to you is you are. And it's not an option that God has called all of us to join him on a mission Right? He's called us to join him on a mission, and we each have a responsibility for the area of influence that we have in our homes, in the community, at the workplace, just to be faithful in just the little things. And I think that we'll see that today. With the Colts, for instance, you know, the mission of our organization um, is the, the corporate and overall mission statement for our organization is to entertain, inspire, and unite by winning the right way. And so the way that works is everybody in the organization is working, is playing their role. And we like to say to everybody, hey, just be a star in your role. You know, um, our pastors in the church setting, the pastors are kind of the, the big people up front. But what we like to say in our organization is, listen, everybody be a star in your role and help us advance this mission to entertain, inspire, and unite by winning the right way. In the church, right, it works in a similar vein, right? We've been given a mission. The church has been given a mission by God. And what is that? Well, Jesus tells us what that is in the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll stop there because we oftentimes when we pray the Lord's Prayer, 
we focus on the second half of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a great part of the prayer. But sometimes, at least I've been guilty of this, maybe you have, I pray the first part of the prayer, and I'm not sure I always fully understood what that meant. But, the, but God's giving us a mission. And what Jesus is giving us a mission, he's saying, hey, church, here's the mission. Bring the kingdom of God in heaven here now down to earth, right? So what does it look like in heaven? Well, in heaven, everybody acknowledges God as king and everybody worships God as king. On earth, not everybody acknowledges God as king and not everybody worships God as king. So in essence, what he's saying is, church, here's the plan, right? I created you in my image. So God, this is what God is telling us. So now, what does he say in the, before he ascends into heaven? Jesus, before he says, go out into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go to the ends of the earth and do this. Why is he saying that? Because he wants to see the Lord's prayer that we're praying fulfilled so that as we go into our schools, as we go into our workplace, as we go into our home, and as we bring the kingdom of God, right, as we bring our relationship with Christ and what it means to be a Christian, as we bring that into those places and as it grows and as it expands, actually what happens is the Lord's prayer is being fulfilled. Until when? Until Jesus comes back. I mean, like, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's the deal. And guess what? God is so amazing that he creates us in this image and creates the world in which we live in, and this is all gonna work out in a way that's gonna bring him glory, and we each just have to do our role where we're at. It's an amazing plan, and then he equips us. He actually, he doesn't say, hey, just go, but he's gonna, hey, I will be with you always, he says, and he says that a lot of times, by the way, in the Bible, maybe uh, one of the most often said promises in the Bible is, I will never leave you, forsake you. I will be with you on this mission. I'm going to empower you on this mission. So just go and walk in faith, not by sight. And so that's really our call. So let's look at the biblical roots of this. Let's look at the big biblical roots of this and look at the relationship of leadership and credibility and see why this is so important. Why as Christians, our credibility as Christians is really important. Well, what are you saying? That I have to be perfect? No, you know I'm not saying that we have to be perfect because we know that we're the chief. What does Paul say? We're going to look at Paul as one of the greatest leaders of all time, certainly in the New Testament church. And what does he say? He says, I'm the apostle Paul. I'm the chief of all sinners. That's what he says. He says it multiple times. In fact, he starts by saying, hey, I it's really interesting, if you look at the timeline, he says, hey, I'm the worst of all the sinners in, the, in this one area. And then about five years later, he writes in another letter, hey, guess what? I'm the chief of sinners, right, in this other area, which was even bigger. And then finally, in the last spot, he says, I'm just the chief of all sinners, right? Well, what does that mean? Like, was he that bad of a Christian? No, we know that's not what it means. That means the closer he got to God, the closer he got in his relationship with Jesus, the more he realized how far he fell short and how much he needed to depend on the grace of God in order to do what he did. But he didn't have some inferiority complex about it. It actually empowered him to go do amazing things. 
by actually understanding that he needed the most help. And oftentimes that's how it is, that those who need, recognize that we need the most help have the greatest impact. That's the way I believe it works because we are then empowered by the living God, right? Whose powers know no end. We're not limited to what we can think up or imagine. God does miraculous things above, above what we can think, imagine, or do. And so here's Paul. We're gonna look at Galatians, uh, the beginning of Galatians. Here's Paul, this unbelievable leader. He, he writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books. 13 of the 27, almost half of them, right? He plants all these churches. But yet, he had a major issue, major obstacle he had to overcome if he was going to be one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. And what was that issue? It was a credibility issue. He had three major obstacles, right, as issues of credibility. The first one is in Acts chapter 9, right? We, if you remember what happens in Acts chapter 9, he's riding down the road to, the, to Damascus, and he's going down there to put Christians in jail, possibly kill them. He's persecuting the church, and it's while he's on that road to Damascus that the risen Jesus comes and meets him and has an encounter with Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And we can read about that in Acts chapter 9. Right? And so what happens, Saul is, then we know Saul is blinded, and then he goes to Damascus, and he's there for three days, and he's blinded, and he's praying, and he's praying. And, you know, and I imagine he's praying in response to what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus, and then Ananias comes and says, Saul, you're called, you know Jesus called you, and you're going you're gonna to go out and, and you're going to preach to the Gentiles. And so the scales, you know, something like scales fall off of his eyes. He can see again. And what does he do? He's so excited. Like, he, like it hit home. He's been born again. So the first thing he does is it says in Acts chapter 9, he immediately went into the churches to start telling people about Jesus. How do you think they responded to him? Uh, wait a second. You're not allowed in this building. We know what this is. This is a trap. You're going to stand up there and say this stuff about Jesus, and then you're going to have all your people come and surround the church, and you're going to arrest us and put us all in jail. They, just read it in Acts chapter, and it's not exactly like that, but actually it was worse. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to kill him because they didn't trust him, because they, he had no credibility, because he was the persecutor. On the flip side, on the flip side, so he's got that to worry about, but on the flip side, he's also got credibility issues because he's accused of being a man pleaser, right? He's accused of trying to make the gospel so easy just to make people happy. Who's accusing him of that? The Judaizers. The Judaizers were the religious group. Guess what? Paul kind of came from that group prior to all this happening. Remember what it says about Paul before he was converted? He was like the chief of, of all the Pharisees. He was he was raised in the law. He knew the law. He was great at all the traditions of Moses and all that stuff. He, was, he knew it backwards and forwards. But now he he's, meets Jesus, and he leaves that crowd, and guess what? Now they hate him. So he's hated by the church who he's trying to preach to, and he's hated by the group he was just with. And this is a guy that turns out to be the greatest leader in the New Testament church. It's crazy. They were trying to say, the Judaizers were saying, 
to everybody, it would be like they'd, they'd be sitting here in, in the pews, right, in, in, the, in, the, in the seats right here in the auditorium. And as the service would be over and Paul would be up here preaching, they'd be leaving and telling everyone, hey, that thing that he was just saying, that it's just believe in Jesus, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you don't have to get circumcised and you don't have to do all those things. That's not true. The Judaizers said, we believe in Jesus. We, like, he's an amazing. Like, what he, they couldn't argue what Jesus did, right? They couldn't argue what Jesus did, so they believed in him. The problem with the Judaizers, they believed in Jesus, but they also said, yeah, but if you want to be a Christian, believe in Jesus, but then you got to get circumcised, and then you got to do this, this mosaic tradition, and then you got to read your Bible every day, you got to go to church every Sunday, you got to serve in the community, you know, fill in the blank. They were just making up rules and traditions that added nothing to the gospel. The gospel that Paul was preaching was, hey, we're going to do things. We're going to do some of those things that we talked about, but those things don't get you saved. They don't get you saved. The Judaizers' gospel was Jesus plus works. Paul's gospel was Jesus, period. Jesus, period. We will do things. We will serve him. We will seek him in, in many ways, but We'll talk about that in a second. So that's the second obstacle that he had to overcome. The third obstacle he had, as if those two aren't bad enough, those are pretty bad. The third obstacle about his credibility that he overcome is that they were, he was being accused of being a second-rate apostle. A second-rate apostle, what does that mean? Well, the apostles, what the Judaizers were saying was, hey, we understand the 12, you know, the 12 apostles that were called by Jesus, and then Judas betrayed him. And then they cast lots, and Matthias replaced him. So we know who the 12 are, but Paul, we don't know about you. Because in the Bible, there's a uniqueness to the 12 apostles and, and the people who started the early church. Now, the Bible uses the word apostles for us today, but it's in, in a, there's all the good theologians will tell you there's a different kind of sense. It's more like being a disciple. But in apostolic days, as it's called, it meant to be an apostle meant that you were You've seen the risen Christ, and, you were, and from the lips of Jesus himself, you received your calling and your instruction. That's what it meant to be apostle. And so what they were saying to Paul was, uh-uh, we know the 12, but you're not one of them. You're, you're second rate. This is a key issue. Paul spends the first two chapters of Galatians refuting that issue right there. Why so? Because... I said, Paul writes 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. Well, guess what? Galatians is the very first one that he wrote. If you chronologically look at how the letters that he wrote that became the books of the Bible, right? Galatians is the first one. It's written in about 55 AD. So it makes complete sense that he would start by starting with credibility. Hey, I am an apostle called directly by Jesus Christ is what he says in verse one. Of the very first thing he writes of all the letters he's going to write, I'm called directly. I heard it from the lips of Jesus himself. I didn't receive it by any man. That's his opening message and all that he does. Because why? Because our credibility as Christians is important. Now, Paul had a unique credibility because the book of Ephesians tells us that the foundation of the church, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, 
but the teaching of the apostles and the prophets are going to be the foundation of the church. That's Ephesians 2.20. So we got to get this right at the front end. So these apostles are a big deal. What they taught, what they wrote, that what eventually became the Bible, the inerrant, inspired, flawless Word of God worked by the Holy Spirit through ordinary men in their messed up personalities and their lives as sinners. He was going to use all that to give us this to put us on course to fulfill a mission that he gave us. And so it's critical that as we read Galatians that, that we understand this. And so my challenge to us this week, last year when I was here, I kind of gave you a big challenge. I said, hey, why don't you read the Bible in a year, right? That's kind of a big challenge. Uh, I want to challenge you again. I'm a coach. I'm sorry. That's part of, it's in my DNA. I'd like, you know, it's challenge. Challenge myself, challenge us as a church, as Christians, but this is a much easier challenge, okay? It's a one-week challenge, and the one-week challenge is this. I'm asking you to consider reading through the book of Galatians multiple times this week. Just read through the book of Galatians multiple times. I'm not going to have time to read everything in here, but after we say a couple of things that we're going to say, I think it's going to make sense to you. I think the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, I get it. That, I see that now again and again. And it can kind of take root, and we understand it, and it helps us to grow. So read the book of Galatians. I might suggest, right, if you've never done that before, just do it two chapters at a time. It'll only take you a couple minutes because the way the book, of, it's only six chapters. They're short. And uh, read through the whole thing. Great if, if you want to and can. But one way to cut it up into smaller things and really dive into it read two chapters at a time because the first two chapters are what we're going to talk about today. Next two chapters are kind of their own segment, and then the last two chapters are their own segment. And then also read through Acts chapter 9. Also read through Acts chapter 9 two or three times because it really connects to the book of Galatians. So that's the challenge for the week. Before I read these verses, I want to show a map. So the book of Galatians is a letter that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. There's Galatia. When you read through the book of Galatians, you're going to see some of those uh, dots referred to, uh, Cilicia, Syria, Jerusalem, Damascus. Those are all mentioned, Tarsus mentioned. Um, they'll all be mentioned in the book of uh, Galatians. And so Paul's writing a letter that can be circulated among the churches that he planted. Right? And what he's basically saying in this first book, this first letter that he's writing is, hey, churches, remember now, remember how we started this mission, that it was all about Christ, by Christ, it was Christ period, not Christ plus. And then he starts out in the first couple of verses, he says, I'm, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one true gospel and you're falling back into this thing about you got to be circumcised and you got to follow these traditions. Don't go there again. We got freedom in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. Let's experience that. Let's not be yoked down by the things that we have to do. They're the things that we get to do. That's the big difference. That's the, that's the line between Paul's gospel and their gospel. And so he's writing this letter to be circulated among the churches so that they would remember the one true gospel. And then he's going to go through the, the one place that's not on here, but it's in here and is an important to note is he goes down into Arabia for three years. Arabia is down here. It's a desert or slash wilderness. Not a lot of people in there. And he goes there for three years. This is after Acts chapter 9, after the road to Damascus. He goes down there for three years. It's interesting because I said to you, he goes, he gets converted. 
He becomes a Christian. He starts going in the churches, telling people about Jesus. Everybody starts to try to kill him. So his friends say, hey, you got to get out of town. So he gets out of town. They help him escape. You'll read about all of it in Acts 9 and in Galatians. And, and, and they help him out of town. And he goes into Arabia for three years. Well, that's significant because most of the, you know, really good Bible commentators will tell you three years, that's a long time. But that's also the time that Jesus spent with the other apostles, right? Jesus' ministry was three years where he was teaching them. And so most great theologians say that during that time, that three years in the desert, right after he was converted, what was he doing? He was reading, he was studying, he was praying. He already knew the Old Testament, right? All the books that were, you know, given to him, right? The gospels were, you know, the gospels written. At, so he's reading what he has available to him. But guess what? He's reading it with a whole new frame of mind. Before he was reading it as according to Judaism and the Mosaic traditions, now he's reading it according to uh, the New Testament, you know, principles. And it's not like the Old Testament was bad. The Old Testament is great. I still love reading the Old Testament because it all points toward Christ, helps us understand a deeper and fuller picture, right? It's like eating a 10-course a, a meal. When we, get, when we eat the whole thing, we, we, there's, you savor every part of the meal of the Word of God. You can, we can savor it all. Just in little bites, right? We can only handle little bites at a time. It's, it's over years. I'm 60 years old. It's been, a lot, it's been a long journey, right? It's been a long journey. So Paul is doing this, and it's all about, it's all about this journey of faith that he's on. And here's an important note. From the time he gets converted in in uh, Acts chapter 9, now go to Galatians 1, that's the first book he writes. Guess what didn't happen? He didn't get converted and say, man, let me go write about this. This is like, I'm not a Bible scholar, so I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'm relatively sure about this. It's 14 to, it's either 14 or 17 years if I'm reading it correctly. It, it, you'll see, you'll read it in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Hey, I was here three years. I was here 14 years. I don't know if those years overlapped at all, if it was just the four. I know it was at least 14 years. So from the time Saul got converted into Paul until he wrote Galatians, it was 14 years. Sometimes in leadership, we say, oh, yeah, we're all gung-ho, and we want to be the leader. There's a price to pay for leadership. Paul paid the price. It was 14 years of, of preparing in ministry before he would write that God was preparing him. Guess what? It wasn't like he lived in a vacuum for 14 years. For 14 years, he was in the wilderness. He was at some other places. He continued to preach, right? He continued, but he was in the wilderness, not with too many people. But during that time, he was, God was preparing him and like, okay, Lord said, you're ready. And then he inspires him to write Galatians and then 12 other letters. So very, very important. So let's read. Let me just read. I'm just going to read six verses. And I think even now after what little bit we've covered, I think you're going to see, I'll try to voice inflect a couple key points that will kind of show what we've been talking about. So I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. And Paul says this, he writes this. Wait, let, me, let me read verse 1 and then I'll go to verse 11 because verse 1 is important as well. Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. Sent not from men not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. 
Rather, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Direct revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous ways of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it, credibility issues. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions, the traditions, right? That's a big thing, the traditions of my fathers. Traditions aren't bad. Traditions aren't bad. There are many traditions that are good, but traditions don't save us. Our church tradition doesn't save us. The tradition that my parents were Christian doesn't save me. The traditions are good, but traditions don't save us. That's what he's saying. But when, but then listen to this in verse 15. This is really critical. This should be all of our stories. But when God, not, not but when I, but he says, but when God. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who who were up there and who, who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and then later returned to to, uh, Damascus. So what he's saying is, I received this gospel that I'm preaching to you. I received it directly from Jesus Christ. That's what his message is. I didn't receive it from any man. When you read Galatians 1 and 2, you're going to see this progression. I didn't get it from any man. I didn't get it from any church. I didn't even get it from the pillars of the church. I didn't even get it from Peter. I got it directly from Jesus Christ, from the list of Jesus himself. And again, why are we making a big issue? Why are we making such a big issue of this? Because it's the foundation of the church. And if there's a crack, we're done. And so this is the Lord saying, Paul, my hand is upon you. I'm giving you the words and the staying power to live this thing out. I was thinking of a way I could illustrate this to us to help us understand it more. And I thought of a football example that I hope, uh, I know not everybody loves football, relates to football, but I think we'll all understand this. In the old days, when I was playing, the way that the coach would get the play into the quarterback who's in the huddle would be, uh, and the coach is the author of the game plan. This is, say, a wide receiver right here. So the coach is going to tell, the coach made up the game plan, and he's going to tell the wide receiver, shift the split right zoom, 56 wide sale, X dig, fullback flat. Boom. He's going to run in about 25 yards. He's going to get to the quarterback, and he's going to repeat the play. He got most of them right. He got most of them right. I was a quarterback, so I heard some plays being sent in to me that I'd never heard before, right? (laughs) But this is what the Judaizers were saying about Paul. They were saying, Paul, you're getting your gospel from men. You're getting substitutes or running in. You're not a true apostle. You're second rate. There's some other guys. I don't know who you're talking to. This is what they're telling everybody. You're getting it from some other man. They're sending it in. And Paul's trying to say, nah, I got it directly from Jesus. But so we went from this to this, because sending, that was, it wasn't time efficient, it was slow, it wasn't accurate. So then you went to hand signals, right? And so that was faster, that was more efficient. We know hand signals are really important and are a great form of language, a great form of language to live our life by, right? But when you're 25 yards away in the heat of the battle, there still could be an error or two or a misinterpretation or two. And there's no room for misinterpretation. Not now. Not now. 
Okay, so what Paul's saying is, I listen, I didn't get these from hand signals. I got this directly from Jesus Christ. Then we went to this. Don't boo the picture, we're in church. <laughs> and if anybody cheers the picture, you're dismissed. <laughs> then we went to wristbands. Now, let me just tell you this. Wristbands are really accurate, but they're not 100% accurate, believe it or not. We had, I'm not going to go into the details, but a couple years ago, you know, we have people who type up the wristbands. They don't make many mistakes, but I'm telling you, there's been one or two mistakes in my four years here. And there's not even an inch of room for error, right? And what we're talking about right here, the inerrant, flawless Word of God. They're not, uh-uh, can't even take that chance. So then we went to this, right? Now, every quarterback has an earpiece in his helmet. And from that earpiece, who does he listen to? The author of the game plan. From the lips of the author of the game plan, the quarterback is given the play to call to the huddle, the church, to execute. This is what Paul is saying. I had a direct earpiece. This is what it meant to be an apostle. I have a direct earpiece. I heard the gospel directly from the lips of Jesus. This is everything. When you read the book of Galatians this week, the first two chapters, this, this is the message of the first two chapters, that the direct revelation, this is the foundation of the church, and we can count on that. So, and from that, Paul becomes, he writes Galatians, and then he goes on, right, and writes incredible things and leads in incredible ways. And as I was thinking about Paul's journey over those years and many of the things that Paul wrote during his journey of leadership and the ups and downs of leadership, which we all face, which we all face at whatever level, it's all significant, it's all real, and we all have our own challenges that we have to deal with. But here's, what, here's, here's how I would summarize Paul's journey. He said this in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. But that grace was not without effect. He said, no, I worked harder than them all. But yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What Paul is saying is, I, got the gra I am what I am by the grace of God. But the, this grace was not without effect. Right? God's grace, when we receive it, when we receive the grace of God, it has an effect on us. What's that effect? That we work harder than them all. But then you notice what he says, but yet not I. He didn't take credit for the work. It's yet not I. It's the grace of God that is with me. So what Paul's saying is he goes from grace to grace. To, that's, that's our journey. We start by grace, right? He calls us by grace. We receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then we don't jump back into works and try to earn it by coming to church and reading the Bible and doing serving in the community. Yes, we do those things but not to earn points. It's all by grace. And then we finish by grace. And then he writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he writes this, and I love this. This is one of my life verses. He says, for the love of Christ compels me because I'm convinced that one died for all. And because one died for all, that those of us who live, we, we place our faith in one who was raised again, right? And we live our life because of what he did for us. Paraphrasing, paraphrasing. The summary of that is, I'm compelled. 
the love of Christ, what he did for me, it compels me to do something. I get to do those things. I get to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible. I want to come to church. I want to serve. I want to love people. But yet I'm a sinner. Why does Paul write in Romans? Paul writes this. The same guy that we're talking about writes this in Romans chapter 7. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? What's wrong with me? Paraphrasing. Why am I messed up? I'm messed up. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't always do it. Why? How can I not always do it? I know what I'm supposed to do. What's wrong with me? Paraphrasing. What's, come on. Then he says, who can save me from this body of death? And he he finishes saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He can rescue us from the body of death, from our own sin. This is a lifelong journey. This isn't, okay, got to figure it out. Let's go. It's not that easy, right? We get the joy of struggling because that's where the, it's like when we talk to, that's where the substance comes from. That's where the depth comes from, the struggle. And repeatedly having to ask for forgiveness. I try to make it a daily practice that I'm going to sometime during the day, usually multiple times, um, forgive me, Lord, for something I just said, did, thought, whatever. And I don't like live in uh, like this self, uh, you know, I'm killing myself. No, like it's a, I, I love doing that. And then bam, I'm forgiven and I'm going. I'm forgiven and I'm going because there's work to do. I want to work harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's our journey. That's our journey. And Paul's gospel, Paul's gospel, just reminding us what he's preaching. The one that he's saying, he actually says in verses 6 through 9, he said, hey, I'm astonished you're leaving. And he said, hey, anyone who preaches a gospel other than what I'm preaching or other than what we're preaching will be what? Will be eternally condemned, will be accursed. We'll go to, you know, basically we'll go to hell because it's not a true gospel. And they're trying to call him a man pleaser. And Paul says, if I or anyone else, like Paul's pronouncing this on himself. Like he's saying, if I or anyone else, because we got to get it right. At the st- it's, it's about Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. Don't ever let, we cannot ever let anyone put Jesus plus on us. Right? And not weigh us, that just weighs us down. We have freedom in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. What exactly does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means for you. I can only answer before God for what it means for me. Well, what liberty do I have to do this or do that? All the things that you can think or imagine. Is that okay as a Christian if I do that or if I do that? It's, we, each one of us, that's different for all of us. I would never put on you what sometimes I feel, and you should never put on me what you feel. What we should put each one on there is, let's follow this, each one of us, and it can look differently, and let's give grace to each other. Let's love and support each other in our journey to know Christ more and to live this out, to help on this mission. We can do that together. That's what, that's what the mission of the church is all about, and God is giving us the power and the grace and the forgiveness for us to do that. And Paul's gospel is it's, it, it's in Christ alone. And this morning when I got here and I was sitting downstairs, I remembered a poem that my wife wrote more than 15 years ago when we were, we were in seminary together. We both went to seminary, you know, many years ago. And, um, and we took a one, this one class. We didn't have very many classes together over, over our time, but we had this one class together, and the one assignment was to write a poem, was to read this one chapter 
um, to read this one chapter called Christ Alone, and then write a poem about what you read in the, or not write a poem, write a one-page paper about what you read in that chapter. And I remember we were on a plane trip somewhere, and my wife wrote this poem, and she showed it to me, and she's like, hey, I was thinking about turning this in as my assignment. And this was like one of her first seminary classes, and I had already been to a few. I had been to more. So I'm like, Linda, you don't turn in poems in seminary. <laughs> of course, I'm just joking. Actually, I did say that. But <laughs> I said, he said a paper, not a poem. Then I read the poem. I did say this. If you don't turn that in, I'm going to take it, and I'm turning it in. <laughs> and the poem says this. Christ is my breath, he is my life. Mere men cannot compare. To speculate it is Christ plus, no man should ever dare. The folly of this fallen world will try to teach such lies. But in his word and atoning blood alone I will abide. So now, tomorrow, and evermore, Lord, help me clearly see that Christ is all. He's all I need. This is my earnest plea. That's the gospel. It's not Christ plus. So just let me close by connecting this all back to us. Because Paul was in a unique time period as an apostle, living when Christ lived, and then seeing the resurrected Christ shortly after he resurrected. And the Bible's clear that we're not in that time. That was a unique time, apostolic error. There was a uniqueness to that error. But the amazing thing is, is that God gives us all the opportunity by, through the life of Jesus, through faith, by grace, through faith in him, that we can have a relationship with this Jesus, a direct personal relationship a direct personal relationship with him that leads to intimacy. So like those pictures of the plays drawn up, I would say this, as I say, are we listening to Jesus? Maybe it's not in the exact same manner that Paul was, but guess what we have, right? We have even more than Paul had. We have even more than Paul had. We have everything. We can hear about everything right here, right here. It's been proven, tested. 40 different authors written over 15 years, over 1,500 years, all saying the same thing. It's the inspired and errant word of God. And we get to know Jesus more closely by reading this, by praying, by coming to church. Again, what does that look like? It look, you don't have to go to I went to I felt called to go to seminary. That was a different deal. That's not everybody's calling. But I would say this, Christians... We're all called at some level to know the Word of God. This is it. This isn't just another great book. This is the Word of God. So our intimacy, how do, how do we share intimacy with our spouse, with, with someone else? It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. I went to Starbucks this morning, like I always do, to get the same thing I always get, a hot chocolate. I'm not a coffee drinker. I've never, I've tried and tried to acquire a taste for coffee because my wife likes to drink coffee and I want to go sit in the coffee shop with her and talk and drink coffee. But I don't like coffee and I, and I, can't, I don't like to smell coffee. <laughs> but I love chocolate. <laughs> and so I like hot chocolate. That's a great way to start my day. 
I've got so many hot chocolates at Starbucks, it's crazy. I know what they smell like, taste like, and I know what it feels like. And when they hand me a cup like they did this morning, and I take it, and about 0.1 second after I get it, I'm saying, they didn't fill the cup all the way up to the top. (laughs) I feel cheated. I know what a full cup feels like, right? My wife and my relationship with my wife, she knows what a full cup feels like when I'm giving her my all. When I'm at work with, and on our team, like we say this to each other, we know what, as a team, what a full cup feels like. And so what I'll say, just give me a full cup today. Just give me a full cup, right? And I believe that's what Jesus is. Jesus knows what a full cup is. Now, he's not saying that we all got to become pastors or go to... No, he's not saying that. He's saying stay right where you are, live out your life right where you are. You're free. You have been set free. You've come to Christ. Now you have a freedom to grow in your relationship with him because I'm trying to plant people all over the world in every sphere of life, in every influence of life, because I'm trying to... There's this mission of bringing the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth, and you're part of it. So let's not all go huddle up in the same place. It doesn't work well that way. We got to spread out, right? And we got to each do it our own way. And so I'll just close us in prayer and ask God to help us do that. You know, God, help us do that individually. Help us do that as a church here, as a church body for Northview and as a greater church all over. Let's ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners. I'm a sinner. Fall infinitely short. And Lord, I've given you a cup that's empty. That's what your word says. The cup I gave you was empty. It brought nothing to the table. And I admit that to you today, Lord. It was empty. Mm. But what your word tells us, what your life meant for us was that you took on the cup of that wrath, that empty cup and the sin that's in there, and you took it on at the cross. And then you've given us a full cup. And Lord, you're faithful to give us a full cup every day that we have available to us to partake in that cup. It's the cup of your suffering It's the cup of your resurrection power. It's a cup that prepares us for all things in life. And so give us strength, Lord, to partake of that, to feel the freedom that we have, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control that you give us by your spirit. Give us the freedom to exercise that in increasing measures, Lord, so that we may bring your kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.